right, thank you, Colton and Aubrey. That was wonderful. Brother Garrett and Miss Nancy, y'all was wonderful as well. So, so appreciate all of you. Back in 1 Corinthians this evening, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tonight, we're going to back up from where we were this morning into the kind of the end of chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I just want to say another note uh, about Wednesday's um, Awana closing program uh, because I know, you know, as I look around the room, uh, we have several in the room who are not involved in Awana, and it may just be an, um, kind of an easy way to say, well, I'll just skip. But, uh, you know, I want to say the kids are going to see their parents, their grandparents, those, but what an encouragement it would be to the Awana workers to see the other adults from the church here to support them and to support the kids. And so I hope you'll come out Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock and encourage the Awana students, but also encourage the Awana workers with your presence. And uh, I know they'll really appreciate that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, this morning, we, of course, we centered uh, our entire uh, thought process really around uh, one verse, and that was over in chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul said, For I've determined to know, uh, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, he said, I didn't, know any, I didn't want to know anything among you except who Jesus is and what he did. And, uh, you know, this, uh, I'll tell you kind of how I, uh, this verse was brought to my mind and I've uh, been thinking over it for a few months, thinking, you know, we make some sermons out of this. And then, uh, well, you know, this would work good right after Easter because we just talked about the resurrected Savior. But I had to read a book for a class. It was called Cruciformity. Paul's narrative spirituality of the cross. And yes, it was just as exciting as the title sounds. I hope you caught my sarcasm there. You know, it's a very highly academic book and not one that I enjoy. Uh, I, don't, I don't like reading those that are just, when you've got to have a dictionary over here to figure out what they're talking about, you know. So anyway, but uh, that book, the premise of it, to boil it down, was all about how the crucifixion of Jesus ought to affect every area of our life. You know, it ought to affect uh, our faith. Our faith ought to be informed by the substitutionary death of Jesus. Our love ought to be informed by the fact that God loved us so much he sent his son to die in our place, you know. Our hope ought to be informed by the fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose the third day. The, the crucifixion, it ought to affect every aspect of our life and of our faith, but, you know, one person in the class in one of the little discussion boards did not come from the Baptist background, and this is a Baptist school, uh, but they let anybody in, but uh, I guess they pay the tuition bill, they'll let you come, right? But anyway, this person said, I think evangelicals, and specifically folks like Baptists, spend too much time talking about the resurrection. And you ought to spend more time talking about the crucifixion. But what I and some others explained is that you can have no resurrection without the crucifixion. So when we celebrate the resurrection, we are implying that we recognize the crucifixion. So whether we're talking about his death, we're talking about his burial, we're talking about his resurrection... We ought not let it confuse us. We ought to just remember what he did for us. 
And that ought to have a transforming effect on our life. And I hope we really understand that and embrace that. But that's not the case for everybody. Not everybody understands the simple message of the gospel. And that's what we're going to back up and look at just a little bit tonight. We're going to look for just a few minutes at three different attitudes that Paul noticed there at Corinth uh, that some people took towards the cross. And I tell you, it is, there are attitudes that are very prevalent in our society today. I'll tell you that you'd find all three of these attitudes in Columbia County uh, if you spend enough time looking. I know a lot of times we stay in our little bubble, and you know we don't a lot of times see that these things happen around us, but these attitudes are prevalent here as well. So uh, three attitudes about the cross, and we'll look at that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the wisdom of your word and for the truth of your word. And I pray that you would teach us as we look into this passage of Scripture tonight. Show us the proper attitude that we should have towards the cross so that it can inform us on how we should live our lives every single day. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I prepared for this message tonight, you know, I couldn't help but sing the song, At the Cross, At the Cross, where I first saw the light, you know, the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. Hear that? It was at the cross he says, and now I'm happy all the day. It ought to inform our lives every day. What happens when various people come to the cross? Not everybody comes to the cross and then leaves singing, and now I'm happy all the day. Paul notices what happens here. We're going to focus primarily uh, beginning in verse 22 tonight. We're going to go back and grab some of the other in just a minute. But Paul sees what happens when some people go to the cross. He says, first of all, if you look in verse 23, after he says, we preach Christ crucified, he says to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. Paul says when the Jews come to the cross, they don't leave singing, now I'm happy all the day. The cross just trips them up. The cross is a stumbling block for them. Why is it a stumbling block for the Jewish people? Well, if we back up to verse 22, we see he says, for the Jews request a sign. They're looking for the wrong thing. When they come to the cross, they're looking for the wrong thing. They don't see what they're looking for, and so it is a stumbling block. So think for a moment about this 
what he says, the Jews request a sign. In other words, another word for, of course, a sign is a miracle. The Jews are looking for a miracle. Of course, if they just hold on a couple days, right, the big miracle, the biggest miracle of all times happens, right? But we're not talking about that. We're talking about at the cross. Think about the cross. They're looking for a sign. And we think about all these miraculous events, all these miracles that happened throughout the history of the Jewish nation. You know, just to think of a few, you think about those uh, through Moses, you think about the, the plagues that were brought on Egypt, you think about the parting of the Red Sea, you think about the miracles done uh, through Joshua and, and uh, the parting of the Jordan River there, you think about the Battle of Jericho, you know, when the walls came tumbling down, that's a miracle in and of itself. Think about all the miracles performed through the hands of Elijah and Elisha. and just We could go on and on, all kinds of miracles that the Jewish people would have been familiar with. And so they were looking for a conquering Messiah who would perform miracles as he overthrew the Roman government, as he established his kingdom on this earth right now. And in the time uh, after Jesus, there were several um, fake messiahs who came along who would, they would gather up, one gathered up thousands of people. One of the books I was reading told me, gathered up thousands of people, and they followed him out into the wilderness. He was going to do some great miracle, but you know what? He didn't. And kind of proved he was a fake because Jesus was the Messiah. They were looking for a a Messiah who would come. And that's that's all he'd be doing is miracles and establishing his kingdom, overthrowing the Roman government. And now they're looking at him hanging on a cross. Well, yeah, we know that he did some miracles, they say. That's what they're thinking, you know. Maybe he was just a magician or something. Don't know what they're thinking. But that sure doesn't look like a Messiah that performs miracles hanging on the cross. That tripped them up. William Barclay says that in Jesus they saw one who was meek and lowly, one who deliberately avoided the spectacular, one who served and who ended on a cross. And it seemed to them an impossible picture of the chosen one of God. Their own scriptures, though, told them that the Messiah would suffer and die. Just as an example, you, Psalm 22 is a, is a graphic picture of the suffering of the Messiah. Then you look in familiar passages of Scripture like Isaiah 53, 5 that says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Yet even though they had these prophecies, Messiah hanging on a cross was a stumbling block for them. Because they remembered something else from their Jewish scripture that said in Deuteronomy 21.33 that anyone hung on a cross was cursed. So the cross was an insurmountable barrier to the Jews to believe that he could be the Messiah. They didn't want a crucified Savior. They wanted one who would put on the big show and overthrow the Romans and establish the kingdom now. So here's a question for us. It's obvious that the Jews that Paul is talking about really missed the big picture of what Jesus had done. As they looked at the life and the ministry of Jesus, they missed the big picture. So I want to ask you tonight, this is something that, you know, uh, I thought about as I was 
reading this about the Jews and the stumbling block, do we get so caught up in wanting Jesus to do the big things that we miss all the little things that he's done along the way? Now, there's nothing little about the miracles he's performed before, but you might say they pale in comparison to the great miracle that would happen three days later. Do we miss the big things? Do we get so caught up in wanting Jesus to do the big things that we completely forget about the little things? Some stumble at the cross. The next thing we see there is we look back in verse 23. He says, not only to the Jews is it a stumbling block, but to the Greeks it's foolishness. Some laugh and mock at the cross. Happens today. Happens today. Why do they laugh at the cross? Why do they find it to be foolishness? Verse 22, the Jews request a sign. What about the Greeks? They seek after wisdom. And that word wisdom there is not with the wisdom of God. That is, they seek after the wisdom of man. We talked about that this morning. That's being able to line up the facts and saying, I can prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt from human facts that this is the case. This is being able to win the argument, so to speak. That's what they wanted to be able to do, but we know that, that belief and trust in Jesus requires not the facts, but it requires the faith. So they can't get that, so to them it's foolishness, which also means nonsense. They seek after wisdom. Barclay says that the two, there's two primary reasons why the crucified Messiah was nonsense to the Greeks. The first is that the Greeks taught that God would have no ability to feel emotion of any kind. That the one who was supreme would, could not be angry, could not be sad, would not be happy. If, if you could make God happy or you could make God sad, they believed, then therefore, your actions have control over God's emotions. Therefore, you have control over God and how supreme is a ruler that you can control his emotions. See, that was their line of reasoning. So they believed that God would have the total inability to feel. Well, what did Jesus feel on the cross? The weight of the sins of the entire world. Jesus suffered and to them, that was a complete contradiction of terms to have a suffering Savior. Complete contradiction of terms. Kind of like, you know, if we walked out here and uh, we turned the news on and the weatherman said, you know, tomorrow's July 4th and we're expecting 12 inches of snow. We know the only place we're going to get a blizzard in July is the Dairy Queen, right? I've had several of them in July. Complete contradiction of terms. They laugh at the foolishness. You know, just like if the weatherman got on and said, July 4th, we're going to have 12 inches of snow, and he's dead serious about it. We'd say somebody get this man checked into a mental institution. He's completely off his rockers. That's the way they viewed the cross. A suffering Savior? Nonsense. Can't be. The second reason that uh, they thought it was foolishness, as we've already mentioned, they sought wisdom, at least their version of it. 
But true understanding of the cross takes wisdom out of the equation because it requires faith. One scholar said they were intoxicated with fine words, but the blunt message of the cross didn't line up with how they viewed what a God could be. But look back. We're talking about wise people. We, you know, they, they're looking for the wisdom. What does Paul say in verse 20? He says, where are the wise? In other words, oh, you're looking for the human wisdom. Well, where are they at? He says, where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, God calls man's wisdom foolish. And by their wisdom, they find the cross to be foolish. God was wise enough. We read verse 21. It says, For since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. In other words, God was wise enough to ensure that mankind could never know him through their own wisdom. Because then that would exalt us too high. The only way to know God is through the man. The only way to know God is through what man perceives as foolishness. And that's the cross, because the cross exalts Jesus. To some, the cross was a stumbling block, Paul says. To some, it was foolishness. But then we come to the last one, that's in verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the power of wisdom. See, to those who believe, Paul says, the cross is not foolishness. The cross is not a stumbling block. The cross is the power of God. But did you notice something else here? In verse 24, he says, to those who are called, in other words, those who are saved, both Jews and Greeks. Greeks just means non-Jews. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're not a Jew, no matter who you are, Anywhere on the earth, there's one message. And the message is that Jesus died for you. That's the message. It's no, it's no foolishness. It should be no stumbling block. Because as these kids stood right up here this morning and said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 says. But then you go over to Romans 5 and verses 6 through 8, for when we were still without strength and Due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jews and Greeks, Jews and non-Jews, everybody in the world, there's one message. We're all sinners. We're all bound for hell. But God loved us enough to send Jesus to die for us. That's the message. That's the truth. It doesn't make sense from a human perspective. It doesn't make sense from that Jewish perspective if you're looking at and saying, hey, that guy on the cross, there's no way he can be the conquering Messiah we're looking for. But Paul says, you've got to put all those human perspectives aside. And you've got to look at it from God's perspective because in verse 25 it says the foolishness of God 
the foolishness of God is wiser than the greatest wisdom of men. And the weakness of God is stronger than the greatest strength of man. In other words, his ways are not our ways. His words are not our words. His thoughts are not our thoughts. There's only one place where we find the strength to live for Jesus. And that's at the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. That's for those who are saved, who really understand what the cross is. To the world, it's foolishness. To those of us who are saved, it's life-changing. But I want to leave you with one final thought tonight. In both messages, this morning and tonight, I mentioned that the power of the gospel, or I mentioned the power of the gospel, and I said, remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross because that ought to affect the way you live. And it made me think about something that I heard Adrian Rogers say. I like to listen to Adrian Rogers preach, you know, even though he's long uh, back in heaven, they still put out his sermons every day, and I listen to him about every day. I was talking to a fellow pastor the other day, said, it's, you know, it's hard to find one of these big-name preachers to listen to because as, you know, as soon as you get hooked on them, they get caught up in a scandal. I said, well, mine won't because he's dead. You know, Adrian Rogers, and there's no going to be any scandal come up for him. But I like to listen to him preaching. When I, he'll come up with these, he'll say something to just catch my ear, and I've got in my phone, I've got this just note, this ongoing note, and I hear something, I said, i got to write that down. And I open my note, and I'll type out that quote. And as I was working on this message tonight, there was a quote from Adrian Rogers that I had to pull my little note out and make sure I got it word for word. Now, now remember, the power of the cross is the gospel message. And that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross ought to keep, teach us to live for him. Here's what Adrian Rogers said. The biggest fool is not the man who says there is no God. The biggest fool is the man who says there is a God and fails to live like. When we look at the cross, it ought to change the way we live our life. Hope you're not one of the biggest fools. The biggest fool is not the man who says there is no God. The biggest fool is the man who says there is a God and fails to live like it. Is there anything before we close? If not, if you'll stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.